welcome to another episode of the How Long To Be podcast. I'm your host, Paula, joined as always by none other than Josh. What's up, everybody? After what it seems to us like weeks, uh, we're finally back to talk about the old regular fo format, like what we've been, what we've retired, what we've been playing. Mm-hmm. And after that, we have our discussion topic on trophy and achievement hunting. Let's just not, just, let's just try not to unlock alcoholism after this one. And, uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, since we finished uh, last guest game round, uh, first of all, we're starting a new one with Josh Quiz and me this time around. And uh, he'll finally say, which game uh, he's having me play for the next few weeks. So yeah. But have you been it recently? Well, I've been a few things over the last few weeks and most of them I kind of had already started or there are other things which I had started and finished off. But the first one I've spoken about before was a point and click adventure called The Last Door, which is a very classic kind of, I want to say like 16-bit, point-and-click adventure, which was kickstarted and crowdfunded. So I've, I don't know the story about it personally. I just happened to have it in my library and decided to play it. But from what I gather is it was it was one of those games that got pitched as in like, hey, we want to make this game, and it's a mystery point-and-click in the old-school style. And so they went and got it crowdfunded and obviously made the game and it came out. And then they made a sequel, Last Door 2, which I'm going to play as well. Because it was very, very good. And if you're a fan of like 90s point and clicks, I would say this is a good one to play because it's very well made and well put together. As in there's no there's no real jankiness or low quality-ness of it. It's you know, the voice acting is good, the little that there is. Actually, I don't even know if there is it. There's lots of dialogue and stuff, and the writing was good and everything. But um the actual puzzles and the way they tell the story and everything is quite satisfying. And it doesn't fall back on, you know, 90s moon logic as much as it might have if it was from the 90s. But um, it actually makes a lot of sense and kind of feels very logical to play through, but also quite interesting. And there's some, like, supernatural kind of stuff in there and mystery stuff and things to keep you interested. So, yeah, if you're a fan of old point and clicks like I am, The Last Door is a good one. Definitely check it out. I also played another one called Armor Krog, which I think is kind of well known because it's totally uh, plasticine animated. So it's like claymation, the whole game. And it's handmade and everything, all the animations and everything are, are real claymation that have been photographed and filmed kind of thing. So... It's a weird game as far as the story because you play as this weird alien dude who kind of crash lands on a weird alien planet or location, for want of a better word, and you've got you and your dog who talks because you talk to your dog all the time, and you basically have to stop your evil brother or doppelganger or other alien person who looks very much like you from taking over and... Yeah, make, doing all the bad stuff. And you do that by basically just solving your puzzles through this really weird, surreal and abstract world that doesn't make any sense, but makes sense within itself kind of thing. And 
I'm yeah. looking at it and it looks like a fever dream and I'm all here for it. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, especially if you really like, um, like good art and style and a good aesthetic in a game because it's all, because it's all claymation. So it's all, you know, got that kind of physical tactile feel to all the uh, animations and all the graphics, but it's also very, very creative, very, very colorful, very strange in parts. Like there are, for instance, there's throughout the game, there are these like elevators that take you from one level to another as you cruise through different buildings, but they're actually big, long tentacles of octopuses. And you kind of like grab onto one and up you go to the next level. <laughs> and that's just, it could have been a regular elevator, but they decided to make it an octopus that you grab onto and it, it pulls <laughs> you up with its tentacles. So that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. And um, there's other like cube-like creatures that you have to kind of push around to, so that they'll let you jump on top of them and go up to higher places and stuff. And yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite weird. And it's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but I really liked it. <laughs> Again, it's it's very much an old school point and click kind of style. And the puzzles are very much, uh, as you explore, you might want to take a few notes here and there when you see symbols or different colors or combinations and things, because later on you're going to have to use that information to solve a puzzle. And it you know just gets more and more complex as you progress through the game. But yeah, Armacrog is one that I've had in my backlog for a long time that I've been wanting to play, and I've just decided i'd get finally get around to playing it and i think it comes up pretty cheap every now and then as well so i definitely recommend checking it out again if you're a fan of point and clicks and that sounds cool to see a wacky claymation kind of game another one that i'd started ages ago and i've played a fair bit of is a racing game called wreckfest which i'm mm -hmm. sure lots of people have heard of it's by the guys who uh it was originally called next car game when it was in development, and that's when oh. I first picked it up. <laughs> and because it was made by a mob called Bugbear Entertainment, who a lot of people might know are famous for making the Flat Out series of uh, racing games. And Wreckfest, if you haven't for some reason come across it, is very much a spiritual successor to the Flat Out series, and it uses a lot of very similar kind of physics and stuff in the racing game because the game is more about destruction and... Uh, bashing into your opponents than it is about racing and being super fast. There is obviously uh, races that go around tracks and everything, but even the regular races are called banger races because you're typically in shitty vehicles that you've kind of reinforced with big slabs of steel down the side and half the game is just pushing your opponents off the track with your car and like spinning them out and stuff and you get points based on how much damage you do to other races and yeah, and the, the physics to it are really cool and the damage modeling is really cool and you can end up crossing over the finish line in like the weirdest looking vehicles because you've just been had the shit beaten out of you and you've got like three wheels left and your dude <laughs> is like sitting right on top of them because the engine's been crushed into where the front wheel is and the other one's kind of scraping along the ground and you're like, yeah, I'm still racing. And yeah, it's very much a not to be taken seriously. It's uh, kind of fun <laughs> how the... Like the cover art for it, it's not like the typical uh, racing game. It's just a yellow car like sitting on top of a pile of other cars that weren't as lucky. Yep, <laughs> and yeah, the whole demolition side of it is central to the game, and that's where the fun is as well. Because as much as you're racing and everything, 
and you're trying to avoid, you know, to completely crashing, a lot of the courses are built with that. Like they've got crossover sections where you're going to perhaps collide with another racer and they've got like loop the loops and there are some tracks which basically go completely back on themselves. So you kind of go down one end, turn around and come start coming back again with everyone else coming straight at you. So chances are you're going to crash, but that's kind of the point. There's even demolition derby races as well, where the idea is to crash and make everyone else, you know, crash out. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's also wacky vehicles too. Like you can get a, a school bus, you can have a couch that's got wheels. Um, <laughs> you can have like a combine harvester. You can have a, a car that's kind of stacked on top of another car. So it's like a double decker car. <laughs> it's just stupid. But, um, yeah, I started playing the actual career mode for Wreckfest a while ago, and just in the last couple of weeks, I decided to finish it off properly. So I finished all the actual events that are in career mode, and so I can now say that I've completed the game, even though it's the kind of game that you're going to pick up every now and then, especially to play some multiplayer or something, because it's just a fun racing game that's kind of unlike any other racing game because it's based on that kind of damage modeling and stuff. So, yeah, it's cool. Uh, I played a visual novel which isn't one I'd necessarily recommend, but <laughs> it's called Advent- Adventure of a Lifetime. <laughs> it's a pretty pretty innocuous visual novel. It's about this guy who goes back to his hometown, who, which is like on an island, and he meets up with some girl that he grew up with, and but he also meets some random girl who's come there to look for buried treasure. So they go on this kind of adventure looking for treasure, and it's got a bit of romance in there as well. So you basically can choose, you know, which girl you want to end up with at the end kind of thing. And yeah, it was entertaining enough, but nothing I'd get too excited about. Um, I just felt like I was in the mood for a visual novel. So I looked at what was in my library and that one came up because it starts with A. <laughs> and that's I pretty much why I played the it. the art sound, like the, the art was, um, seemed familiar. Of course and- it would. <laughs> yeah, the the art seems familiar, and like the overall like UI and stuff seems familiar. And it's this it's from the 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 people that made if my heart had wings. That one is yeah, on my library. Familiar. That one is my on my library. I don't know how I got there, um, <laughs> but uh, I haven't played it played it. But I did watch a couple of trailers of it. So the overall tone and like the the art style, like even though it's anime art style, like each um, each artist has like some quirks, quirks I guess. Yeah. Uh, to how they draw specific things or how they color specific things, and that uh, and it's pretty much the same between the two, the two the games. So it was like, hey, this seems familiar. Yeah, and yeah, it was completely like fine TM, <laughs> really, <laughs> like. There was nothing, nothing really to write home about, but it was enjoyable enough and it kind of filled my need for wanting to do a, a very basic kind of visual novel. There's nothing like, just to be clear, there's nothing extreme about it. Like there's no graphic content or anything. It's just, it's all very wholesome and pretty much G-rated. So, it, you know, it's very much a kids going on adventure kind of visual novel <laughs> Yeah, with like some light romance in there as well. But um, yeah, it was enjoyable. And yeah, good quality though. Like like I say, it was well put together. The writing actually wasn't too bad. The they had voice acting for everything, but I kept it on Japanese and just read the English text because that's how I like to do it. 
Mm. Um, in fact, I don't. I think it only has Japanese audio, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, I looked at the page and it only has Japanese audio. Yeah, so I like that anyway because, like, watching movies and stuff with subtitles, it adds something to be able to hear. You know how the lines would be read, but um, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't go say anyone needs to rush out and play this game, even if you are a fan of visual novels. It's pretty much very forgettable. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but a game I did play again because I heard I was listening to another podcast or watching a stream or something, and they mentioned it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good game. So I went and replayed a game called Space Plan, which is a clicker, like a cookie clicker kind of game, but way better than that. <laughs> this is it's a clicker but you're you're basically creating power by planting potatoes okay. on a planet which you don't know what the planet is because you're in like a satellite orbiting a planet which you think could be earth it's like set in the future sometime when earth has just been destroyed and so the clicker part of it that you know you upgrade as you go along is you get better spud farms and plantations and stuff and you you create like satellites called Spudnik and <laughs> there's a whole potato thing going on. And um, and that all generates power. And as you generate more and more power, you can like scan the planet more. And there's a full-on story that goes along with it as well. And it's just a really fun, easy clicker to play because then it gets really wacky. Like we're talking like interstellar levels of time dilation and exploration. And you, you eventually, I don't want to give anything away, but you kind of, start kind of uh, messing with the solar system, if you want to call it that. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's just a really fun game. I Even if you don't like clickers, I'd say check it out because it kind of shows how you can make a clicker really interesting and really fun, even though it's still, at the end of the day, a clicker and nothing else. <laughs> the Steam page, I love it so much. It says, a space plan is an experimental piece of interaction based partly on a, a total misunderstanding of Stephen yeah. Hawking's A Brief History of Time. Yep. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. That's just perfect. It's, it's I get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that does sum up the tone completely because it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually interesting. It's not just completely stupid. So I always appreciate that. Like, they are kind of, it's a bit of a parody of clicker games, but then also a bit of a parody of itself in that sense being all scientific and science fiction-y and stuff, because at the end of the day, it is a clicker game. But yeah, it's very self-aware and humorous in that sense. And I would definitely, it's one I'm probably going to replay, uh, replay every now and then for a long time, because yeah, it's good t- good fun, good times. Uh, one I finished just today, not long before recording actually, was The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which again is another game that a lot of people I'm sure have heard of. It's essentially a walking simulator, if you want to call it that in the vein of your What Remains of Edith Finch or Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Gone Home, that sort of stuff where you are walking around exploring a very beautifully uh, realised landscape, except this one has a bit more interaction than some of those mm-hmm. because essentially, without giving anything away, it's it's a bit of a mystery, like the name suggests, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, and... As you explore through this, uh, through the map, I guess, you find different locations where things have happened and then you can kind of recreate what's happened and you have to kind of puzzle together the sequence of events. Uh-huh. So the, the very first thing you come across, which is right at the beginning of the game, so it's not much of a spoiler, 
is you come across, you're walking along some railway tracks and you come across some blood and you go, oh, and you can like mark it as you come across it. And then you can see off to the side, there's like a blood trail that leads down a path to the side. And if you follow that, you end up finding a body with like a dude with his legs missing. And as you explore the area more, you kind of find out what happened to him and why, you know, how he died and that sort of stuff. And the game kind of lets you piece it together. And if you get it right, it'll play you out a kind of scene that shows you what happened and solves the mystery of that particular instance. And then you keep exploring and you find more of these things and so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like, um, if, if Dear Esther was way more interactive, <laughs> even though I love Dear Esther, that it's a great game and there are interactive elements, no matter what anyone says, there are things that you can do and, or not do. There is some choice <laughs> as minor as it may be. Um, this one is way more involved and there's way more, uh, choice and everything. There's even one section which goes into quite horror territory where if you get caught by some dude who's on the map, you essentially get killed and have to restart the section. So <laughs> there is danger there as well. <laughs> and that part kind of gave me the willies, but I got through it all right and, you know, came out the other side and then it was fine. And that's the only part with actual danger and kind of interaction with another NPC, I should say. The rest are all solving mysteries of the story and finding out eventually what happened to the character Ethan Carter. And yeah, it's a satisfying game. It looks amazing. It's like a poster child for the Unreal Engine because the whole landscape and everything just looks really beautiful and high fidelity and really well put together. And yeah. Yeah, like I'm looking at the screenshots over on the Steam page. And one in particular uh, that really caught my attention is like, I guess the night one because it's all full and uh -huh. it just looks stunning. Like, I don't know what they did to get the, this level of beauty, but they, they did it. Yeah, there's a lot of um, details that kind of, it, that's why it kind of reminds me of games like um, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and that sort of stuff, because like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, in my opinion, was an incredible looking game and looked almost photorealistic in parts as well, just on how detailed the textures are and all the, all the different models and everything. And this one is pretty much the same. There are some scenes and areas where you just kind of go, wow, this looks photorealistic basically. Like it, it could be literally real. So <laughs> very good looking game. And I like the fact that it has a mystery wound in and you have to kind of you kind of, it's not too difficult, but you have to kind of like think about it a bit and actually solve something to progress. So at the end of the day, it's mostly about exploration though. So you, there's a lot of walking around and looking at stuff, although there is a button you can press to, to run. So you can go a bit faster if you <laughs> choose to. <laughs> uh, unlike everybody's gone to the rapture, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I completed this week. Although there's a few, or last couple of weeks, I guess, although there's a few things there, but, but that's it. So I'm done with that. Paula, tell us about the one game you completed. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was the other day when I was like, hey, so I'm quite indecisive of what to play next because I completed a route of uh, the game I'm playing more on the later. And I wanted like a palette cleanser, like just do something else for a bit. And uh, I guess it was because I, I saw people playing Olympia Sore over on... Twitter, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, never call, I'm never calling it X, by the way, so <laughs> fuck that. Um, and the things that the, 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 the urge to play, they're like the Joseph thought it was so strong that I ended up like replaying one of the routes in particular. Uh, so that is my completion for today. So since I haven't pl- uh, talked about this one in a while, I don't think I have to talk about it like in your presence, Josh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go into this rabbit hole right now. So yeah. So in Olympia Sore, you play as uh, Olympia or Biakoya, which is her real name, which she doesn't often reveal to anyone. And the thing about this is that she lives over on Tenku Island, which is like a main island uh, where um, everything from where you live to who you can marry or even like what you can do in life is decided by color or a color class. And mm-hmm. is like each person has like what is called like color traits, like the color of their hair and their eyes and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's mainly that, like the color of hair and eyes. Um, the thing is, is that in this island, there are like uh, what are called like primary colors, secondary colors, and then you have the the bite class. And then you have a couple more special classes to go with it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go world building for a little bit. So the primaries are like the usual blue, yellow, and red. And the thing is, is that according to the mythos of the island, uh, Lord Hiroku, which was an outsider, uh, created um, all the uh, primary color inhabitants of the island. So blue was granted the power to return souls to the heavens, which is called Vatsu, uh, which is a power that is very important because if there's like a rotting corpse, it will spread uh, an illness called Haku, more on that later. So uh, with the power of Vatsu, like the body pretty much like disintegrates and it leaves uh, behind only a single uh, crystal stone which contains the soul, which is called Asho. Um, the yellow class was granted the power to hear Lord Hiroku's voice. So there's a building called Ishanaten, which is where usually most trials and likely legal stuff t- takes place. And uh, behind those curtains, there's Lord Hiroku, and it says that the only one that's able to hear his voice and talk to him during like the trials is uh, the leader of the yellow class in the case of this game is Toma. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, the red got the short end of the, of the stick and they were bestowed cursed blood and a land. And there, there's a whole reason why red is like the, is like pretty much like God's least favorite class, but that is kind of like spoilery and stuff. And also, like the whole reason why uh, the um, the leader of the red class is Jigen, who is an outsider, like someone who was living outside of this island and got washed uh, ashore, 
It's because outsiders usually bring like great knowledge to the island. And in the case of Lord Deacon, they uh, he actually knew like why the land was cursed, why it was kind of poisonous. And in turn, he made it so he was able to mine whatever it was, like making it poisonous and, and make something out of it and sell it. Uh, in the case of the yellow, um, Doma is another uh, outsider, and uh, he did another thing more on that later. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm vigorous. I, I like getting <laughs> sidetracked. So we also have like like the primaries have like the most power on the island, but there are like less of them. Uh, you have the secondaries, which are vermilion, orange, jade, green, cyan. Aqua, violet, purple, and fuchsia. And the thing is that um, when people get married and have kids in that in the island, like their colors or genetic or genetics mix in a way. So uh, blue and yellow can have like a blue or yellow kid or a green kid, or like what is called an uh, koanotsu, which is the more um. I guess predominant class in the in the island, uh, which they where they take like a brown hue to their colors, so it's like it's not a primary, but it's, and it's not a secondary, so they don't have like as much power, and they can't do a lot of things, and they do not have like power at all, but they still live under the sun. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, their color or, or like someone with multiple color traits appears. And those are sent to Yomi, which is like an under an underground city in the island. And they are like pretty much exiled as Bersi. So um as you can see, the island is very, very classist. It has like a color class <laughs> system. And if you don't have like uh, pretty colors or if you are like outside of the norm, uh these very classes. The classist person uh, people do not want to see you, so they send you to to exile on Jomi. Um, and finally, we have like two very special classes. So one of them is not naturally occurring. There's actually like a reason why it happens, but it is the black class where people has like black hair and uh, black eyes, even though they have like a shine to what was what used to be their class. Uh, I'm gonna say, um, but um, I kind of want to say why they're they like that, but I can't. But anyway, <laughs> so the thing with the black class is that uh, people in the island are quite. Um, um, I'm gonna say uh, they do not like um, the concept of darkness. Mainly because of how uh, the sun operates in the island, but whenever the sun goes out, uh, it causes quite a stir, and it, not like in the sense of it 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 turns to night. No, like the sun literally goes out. Uh, no right. sun for you. So um, <laughs> because of how black is um, kind of like um, related to darkness in a way. Um, people like don't like the color, and the black class is like the it has like the lowest class on the entire class color class system. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, 
uh, women of the white uh, are uh, they used to live on Tenio Island, which is a small island like just by Tengu Island. And uh, they are supposed to be like daughters of the goddess Amaterasu. And they do dance and pray to the sun and try to keep with their powers like the sun shining over the island. So they, they are like a very special class. And it is said that only women uh, with white color, like white skin, white hair and white eyes are born to the white. Right. And, um, but, uh, since there's the need to continue on the, uh, the, this particular, uh, color class, because otherwise the, ch- the sun wouldn't shine. And, <laughs> um, there's the laying of the lunar fairy where a little white mouse would live, and eat a half flower, which is a flower that, uh, only grows on that particular island. Uh, on the doors of uh, selected men, and they would go like to the island uh, for a night, and then go back. And it, 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 everything like everything seems like a, a like a dream in a way. So they don't usually remember <laughs> what happened there, but sometimes they do. But yeah, that's the overcomplicated color class of the island, and that's just the setting. So, yep. uh, Olympia, who is the last uh, survivor of the white because of a calamity that took place in the island um, 13 years ago, mm-hmm. just turned 18, which is like uh, the age at which women are considered adults. For men, it's 20. And mm-hmm. pretty much like um, the... Hmm? Just, that's interesting. <laughs> so very much like the the leader of over like the um I forgot the name of it, but it was like the the leader at, over at the uh pretty much like the building that is supposed to try to record everything on the island and and try to keep everything in order. Um, he was like, "Hey, you, you have a year to find uh, your husband and." Uh, because we kind of need uh, more people of the white here, otherwise you're fucked. <laughs> um, which uh, she doesn't take quite kindly, but still. So, um, in a way that, like, the whole game is like, Viakuya uh, or Onampia, like, going out of the of, of the of the yellow mansion where she was right. Uh, where she grew up after the age of five, um, just tried to find her husband. The thing is, is that once you've been sheltered and know nothing of the world, and probably didn't interact with many people during your stay there, um, getting to know people is quite difficult. <laughs> so um, uh, she manages at some point to meet like new people and stuff like that. But still, like, uh, the process, the, like, the first step to get out of out of there and try to meet people is quite difficult because since she's, like, the only remaining one from the white, either people, like, had her on that pedestal because she's quite rare and she makes the sun shine and stuff like that. Mm. Or they just try 
think she's hideous or scary because there's an illness called haku, uh, which will usually make a person like lose all their color, like, and also their uh, body parts style like rotting and falling off. And since it doesn't have like a proper cure yet, like our two treatments, the um, it works only like 50% of the time. And even then, you're not going to recover wherever you lost to the illness. And the other one, uh, it is um, very effective, but most people don't want the side effects. Right. Um, so yeah, like people either uh, fear her because of they remind her, they remind them of Haku, or they think if they anger her, uh, something's gonna happen and stuff like that. So uh, there's like this overall like trying to fit in, but not quite um, and stuff like that. Uh, mm. So uh, finally, like I'm gonna do like a quick summary of all the rats because holy crap, this is taking too long. Uh, so in the case of Akasa, who is like the next in line of uh, to be the leader of the Red, um, he is like the locked route. Like you have to do every other route after, uh, before being able to play his route. Um, mainly because it has to do with the mythos of the island. And also uh, he has like a special kind of perspective on how things go here. And not gonna go into it too much, but then you have Riku, <laughs> which is the route that I actually went through, and you have um since the blue are the ones like sending off people to the heavens pretty much, they have pride on their color, and they try to keep it at all cost, even at the cost of their blood being so quote unquote pure that it causes stillbirth and um, they are quite classist in a way <laughs> because, of course, they given like this wonderful gift from from the gods, so they are like special little snowflakes and stuff like that. And anyway, <laughs> like um, the blue is like the pinnacle of uh, we have this, so we are not trading it for anything. But also, Riku has like very special circumstances in which you could say. You could say Yomi is calling up is calling out to him in a way because of his past, but he's supposed to be like the perfect little uh blue that is gonna be the next leader of the blue. So he has like um tradition to uphold in a way. Mm. Uh so the pressure is there for him. On the other side of the spectrum, you have Kudova of the Black, which is uh who is a doctor that uh, works at this very organization that told Viakoya uh, to get married soon, please. Um, <laughs> but also, like, uh, he's, like, at the bottom of the food chain in this island, pretty much. So you see things from his perspective and how he was able like, to get the hell out of there um, and to have, like, to earn, like, some his place in the island. Uh, but also you see like the amount of discrimination that he faces because of uh, the fact that he's of the darkness class. Um, you also have um, a 
Tokisada of the Green, who is an outsider of the island. So in a way, you learn a little bit more about the island itself um, and also like a little bit of what happens or how people and things get washed ashore on the island. Um, then you have Himuka, who is like, wait, um, I'm missing someone here. I am missing someone. I have to go here. Okay, so it's Kurafas, it's Riku, so it's Tokisada. Um, ah, Yosuga, Yosuga, Yosuga. So, um, Yosuga, it's technically from the purple class, but he has been exiled to Yomi. And uh, he's also like the last remaining person of the original purple, purple class. Um, mm. And he manages like the um, I'm gonna say like he manages like the um, a bathhouse over on Jummy, but in a way he has like a lot of power on Jummy because reasons. Um, <laughs> you see things from in his route. You see things like from a secondary secondary color class, but also you can see things from someone who lives on Jummy like permanently. Um, and you get to know a little bit more about what happened, um, like why the Red Calamity was a thing and other things that are like being passed around as urban legend, um, but actually have um, a foundation on things that happen pertaining to purpose. Uh Okay, and then you have Himuka's, Himuka's route, which is locked behind four routes, pretty much. And this one is a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much centered about around like the mythos and stuff like that of the island. So it doesn't have like as much romance as the, as the other routes, but still, uh, the route is very well written. Um, it also gives another insight on. The actual, I don't want to say origin of the island, but kind of like the origin of the island. So yeah, um, <laughs> that is like the overall picture of Olympia Suare. I just replay Rico's route because I, I have like a very a strong urge to do so. And I uh, I love this route so fucking much. Like he's like a, a little son there, but... Uh, also, like in this route, like uh, Josuka and another side character called Camellia, like they just stick their nose into their their relationship between Olympia um, and Riku so much. I love it because they're like, oh, so this happened. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna see this from a, uh, like watch this for for a little while. And then we'll jump into action and just play wingman and wingwoman. So <laughs> they're they're hilarious in this route. I love them so much. So yeah, um, this route in particular is like the first that people usually play uh, because it is like the recommended route out there from the developers. Uh, it has more about like the blue class and stuff like that uh, rather than having stuff like from that very spoilery things from the island, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the stakes uh, on this route compared to the stakes on other routes aren't like so uh, so high, I guess. But <laughs> I think this one is a particular favorite of mine. 
because of various reasons. But yeah, uh, that is Olympia Sare. Uh, sorry for the tech talk at this point. <laughs> and so what I got from that was white is good, black is bad. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. <laughs> anyway. No, no, just, just kidding, just kidding. So one thing that I forgot to... Uh, to say about the game is that pretty much it's Olympia like trying to being like uh, very against everything in the island because she since she lived in Tenny Island uh, she doesn't realize what really happens on Tengu Island so it's like hey yeah. so it may be because I'm an outsider but this is kind of fucked up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah. Anyway, no, I, I got that idea as well. I just, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just funny to me that white is good, black is bad. Yeah, though, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, uh, there's a lot of people that unironically just stick to that point and miss <laughs> the point of the game. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, what have you retired recently? <laughs> <laughs> well, I speaking of potentially cringe things, um. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like, but black and white dichotomies. And uh, anyway, um, so there's a game called Hatred, which came out a while ago, which is like Edge Lord Simulator 101, and it was it gained a lot of attention when it came out because it was essentially the there's no nice way to put it, but essentially after a bunch of school shootings in the US, this game came out where it was basically a dude going postal and shooting civilians and things in his town to gain points and then shooting up cops and shooting up malls and burning down houses and all this kind of thing. And that's the whole, that's what the game is. And it's this game called Hatred. And it had this really edgelordy trailer when it came out where there's like this dude with heaps of guns in his house and he's got a real gritty voice and he's like, nobody understands. I'm going (laughs) to cleanse the world of all these sheep and, you know, all this kind of incel crap basically. And <laughs> blah, 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 blah. That was a long time ago. Never thought about it really. But a friend of mine played it recently and said, you know, as from a game perspective, forget the theme and everything. It's actually a bit of fun. And I'm like, all right, I like twin stick shooters, which is essentially what it is. Like if I had to pick a favorite genre that actually might, it would be up there, put it that way, twin stick shooters. I just love them. So I thought I'll give it a go because it seems like it could be good. From a gameplay level, not from a uh, design level, <laughs> and and it's it's just it's just so bad because you know they're just trying to be controversial as well. Like they're not even making a good point with the game. It's just gratuitous, cringe, edge lord shit that perhaps they could have made a good point with or something. I don't know, but they definitely didn't. So it ends up just being a bit boring, and I didn't even finish the first level because. It was just kind of crap, and after the first couple of minutes, you get really bored and put off by the entire theming of the whole thing. So, yeah, I don't recommend anyone trying it. I don't recommend anyone ever bothering with it out of morbid curiosity. Like, if something's that controversial as well, it kind of makes me interested, (laughs) for for better or worse. Like, all I'll say is that I didn't pay for it because (laughs) I wasn't going to. (laughs) So, you know, there's that. But... Yeah, I mm, you couldn't pay me to play this game any more than I did. So I happily retired Hatred this week. <laughs> Which is a sentence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing in life and in video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
so you know it's it's all coming up josh um but i i have started playing a few things as well which are just a few things that i'd like to mention i randomly found a game on my amazon account called super adventure hand that just looked stupid and fun and that's pretty much what it is you play as a hand that has to make their way through a series of levels that are kind of like obstacles very kind of 3d platformy but in a fun way and like the enemies are feet that are jumping around on throughout the map and if they catch up to you they'll kick you and you'll go flying away it kind of plays as if you're a spider though because your hand kind of jumps around and will like grip on stuff and then like walk around like a spider <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a bit of dumb fun like there's no unlike games like hatred or something like super adventure hand is not trying to even pretend like it's got a story it's just hey this is some fun stuff to do let's do that <laughs> so i kind of enjoy it it's very much a pure gameplay experience and you know there are like collectibles to collect on each level which mean you have to go out of the way there's different upgrades you get like instead of hats you get watches so you can see that there's a watch on your wrist as you run around and that makes so much sense but it sounds the kind of dumb and i love it <laughs> Well, and it's got a few cute things as well. Like after the first couple of levels, you get your first watch. And then because you've now got a watch, you you get a timer for each level, which didn't exist before you actually got a watch. Uh... So, <laughs> so, you know, you can speed run it and stuff and you get graded for how quickly you get through it and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's just a dumb game that was free on Prime and I'm enjoying. So there's that. Uh, additionally, I started playing Cubescape Paradox which obviously is the next uh, in the Cube Escape slash Rusty Lake series that I've been playing. <laughs> it, it seems quite a long one so far because I've started playing it and it seems like I haven't barely scratched the surface, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is cool. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about these games on here over recent times because we've been playing through them. So I don't really have much to say other than it's, it's more Rusty Lake stuff. <laughs> And yeah, it's a bit creepy in parts as usual. It's a bit kind of weird in parts as usual, but it's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> and it's very enjoyable to figure things out and see what's hiding around the corner kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, haven't, haven't got very far with that one yet, but I, hopefully I'll have it finished soon because I'm enjoying it anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, after New Year's and everything, I finally got back to playing Baldur's Gate 3 with my friends who I've been co-oping with and... Not that I have heaps to add other than a few funny stories because we basically got to a point where there was a bit of, shall I say, uh, tentacle porn involved. <laughs> For anyone who's played the game, you might know what I'm talking about. For anyone who hasn't, I'm not going to spoil it any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we were the three, because you get these cutscenes that are like shared, but then you get cutscenes that are private. And in this one, it was like, you know, you, regularly you get cutscenes that are private. It doesn't mean they're funky or anything. It's just like something particular for your character. So no one else can watch it. They're probably watching their own version of the same thing. And so we're used to all that. And one of them starts and we're like, oh, okay, cool. And we're all just silently watching these cutscenes. And then you could see how out of sync we were because each one of us is like, oh, no, oh, Lord. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we kind of found that a bit exciting. But um, there was also another bit where I managed to have my – uh, I've got it written on my on my board. I had my seventh death because I walked into a basement and just kind of strolled through and failed a perception check and ran into a trap that made the whole place explode. <laughs> so 
Nice. <laughs> it just went kaboom and everything blew up and I died and everyone else was upstairs going, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I might be a bit dead down here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'm just feeling al unalived in this very moment. Yep. So thankfully, you know, my friends re resurrected me and <laughs> we, we, we got back to it <laughs> for the, yeah, that's my seventh resurrection, I think. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the game continues to be very much the same sort of deal. There's it, it's, it's wacky and frustrating and fun and everything all together when you're playing co-op, because as always, there's three different people with different ideas of things to do. So that's fun, but it's <laughs> kind of annoying sometimes, but it's the way it goes and, you know, I'm enjoying it either way. And we're kind of edging very slowly towards what I think will be roughly the end game because we've been in the actual city of Baldur's Gate now for quite a while. And, but we've been doing a lot of things because, of course, this game, everywhere you go, there's heaps to actually do. And there's heaps of NPCs to meet and things to uh, explore and side quests and everything. Down to the fact that even there was one thing we did last time, which was, uh, we like to talk to animals, so we were talking to pretty much every animal we come across, and we met a few cats who were like worshiping some other cat, okay, and, and constantly trying to get us to start worshiping the cat as well. So we're like kind of lying to it, going, "Yeah, we're we're worshippers of that cat." And then we actually met the cat that they're talking about, and she's like, "Ah, you are my loyal subjects," and it's just a cat in a building, <laughs> and, but it's very cat-like because. That's what my cat would say if I could talk to her. So definitely, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fun stuff like that. Which, yeah, it's still it's still a fun game. It's got it's just one of those games where it's just so big and complex that there's so much good about it, but there's so many issues with it as well. <laughs> like the latest bug that we've been experiencing is some rendering bug with NPCs' character models, where their face will look fine, but they'll have like a big line of their cheek or something just going off into the distance. Oh, no. Like, like, a, like a Pinocchio nose, but, like, coming out the side of their face and, like, going literally, like, almost forever, like, through buildings and everything. And when you talk to them, it kind of flickers in and out, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, like, Sarah, I believe well, something's wrong with your face. On their face, like, I don't know, in the other side of the game or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the first time we saw it, there was just this thing like floating around in the environment. And we're like, what the hell is that? Like, that's just some weird glitch or something. And we kind of followed it and found it was attached to this dude's face. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just something on his face that had obviously glitched out and rendered funny. And yeah, just shot off in, into the distance. <laughs> and Beautiful. So, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, ultimately it's fun. But I'm kind of hoping we're getting towards the... Uh, the end game because as much as we do tend to spend a lot of time doing everything other than the main thing, it would be nice to kind of get there. That's <laughs> we're already like a hundred and something hours into it. So, <laughs> um, but we're max level now as well. Last time when we were playing, we actually hit level cap, which I think is only level twelve. But that's where we're at. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I've been playing. Bit of weirdness, bit of fun but yeah hopefully i'll finish a couple of those before next time and have some other things to talk about oh. what about you you've been playing a couple of things i see 
Okay, so um, I was playing British and a Rising Flower of Gameplay. And the thing about this game is that it is historical fiction. So if you look up to the name of some of the characters, you actually, you'll actually see that there are like real, uh, there were real people at some point in Japan. So cool. in the case of this game, I forgot to look up like the actual setting historical setting uh, behind it but since it is a historical setting game that means like each route uh, more or less uh, follows the same uh, story bits in a way mm-hmm. uh, so that's why I've been like trying to play a route of this and then like go and do another thing and then come out and play another route of this because otherwise it will get a little bit samey, which happened to me with Hakuoki, which by the way, those are 12 routes. That is not okay, but it, it is also okay because I love a lot of the characters. But yeah. Um, so in uh, Rise of Flower of Kempe, I actually went through Norizone's uh, route, uh, which was quite interesting because it was like... Um, um, What's the name of that game where you kind of like uh, pull this rope and try to make the other person like go past the middle? A uh, tug of war. Yeah, it's very much a, a tug of war at this point. Um, okay. Because <laughs> because at some point it was like um, um, like both Noritsune and Sonao are kind of like tied to uh, their blood in a way. Like one of it's the uh, Bro, the possibly like the next leader of the Hekka, and the other one is uh, the, the last survivor of the. Um, I forgot the name of it. Uh, like each one, it's kind of like a representative of their own clan. So at some points of the story, it was like um, this tug of war where, where one of them would be like in a clear position, I guess. Uh, in terms of where they thought they were standing. And at other times it was like, uh, hey, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And the other person (laughs) kind of like drags the story along a little bit. Uh, So it's kind of like they're both trying to make like this final showdown happen because they're like, um, Nelson is kind of like the the one that pretty much kickstarts all the story because he's like, I want to fight you one on one, with nothing set up, uh, setting us back and stuff like that, uh, because he uh, he sees his, himself as a warrior, he sees Chanel as a warrior, and it's kind of like, I want, uh, I want this fight, I want this sword fight in particular, so it's kind of like. Uh, the whole road, like they very much getting into that surf fight and getting interrupted, which is quite frustrating because, <laughs> like, um, there's something about the writing on this or how they um, move the spreads around, I guess, in the screen. Uh, I use like everything they can, like sound effects, animations, and stuff like that, that makes you kind of like fit, like. It's just sprites moving on the screen, but in your mind, it's like, oh, this is an actual fight and it's epic. So in that sense, it's like you almost want them to be able to have this one fight, which, by the way, the CG you actually get from the final chapter is like, chef kiss, like, 
they did some really good job there. But anyway, uh, so it's kind of weird because first of all, they were like, uh, I want to fight you just as not Sunni, I want to fight you just as Chanao. But then things happen and they have to uh, take almost leadership of uh, their respective routes. And it's like, okay, we cannot fight just as people. We're just, but we're fighting um, as as pretty much like uh, with the whole clan on, on our backs in a way. Um, uh, as I said, Chanel eventually, like Chanel is a woman in this ca- in the case of the game. It wasn't the case in the actual history books, but it is in the game because fuck it, they can do it. Yeah, cool. And um, eventually the cat comes out of the bag because reasons. I, it, like... You can see that there are people in the game that is like they know, they they know, but they don't say anything. <laughs> so it just they just have fun with it. It's like, um, like they 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 know. She knows, like they know that she knows that they know, <laughs> but also that they know that she doesn't want them to know. So in a way, like they, uh, they're just clowns that. Uh, try to what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually heard that meow. <laughs> so yeah, but anyway, like they're like uh, very interesting situations that come from people knowing and they and just being an ass about it in a way, or being or trying to be super serious about it, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Uh, and so, but it is done in a way that it isn't like, um, uh, I guess out of character or like, mm. it doesn't take, take you out of the story, I guess. But anyway, um, the whole story like takes place, like these clans, like pretty much like the Heke clan finally moving and trying to dominate Japan because they can. And then you have like the other clan, like trying to control them because fuck no, you, you, you you could rule Japan if you were like so uh, such big of an ass with the rest of the population <laughs> that and and in this other clan like that is trying to beat the heck clan there's like quite a bit of infighting because one of the lords that control the um the army um uh, is kind of like a piece of shit so uh, so the other lords aren't like us um happy about it so that led to a bit of a fighting and then suddenly Chanel was in the other uh, side of the of the war and it was like okay this is fine everything is burning but this is fine <laughs> and then eventually Chanel like goes back to to her uh, actual spot in the war like she she finally like, like she finally takes um the army against the Hege and had like this very epic final battle think they're dead and very much like runaways like yeah no i i i don't want anything to do with this shit anymore (laughs) so yeah (laughs) uh those are my very unorganized thoughts about british anna so far Um, sounds interesting yeah (laughs) you can call it that (laughs) um the as i as i said this route in particular felt like a tug of war in a way um but in a good and in a bad way, because in a good way, because like not 
like both characters had the plot moving forward, but also it felt a little bit unorganic in some points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like, but other than that, like the the characters were quite well written in my opinion. Um, cool. I'm looking forward to the next route, which is um, I think it was Benke, which is the person they were actually looking for because he was like um beating the asses of a lot of heke and uh, rubbing their swords and stuff like that so i want to know what's what's up with that particular character i might <laughs> look into the actual history and try to bring something to the table regarding that but anyway uh the, the other game that i played was magica 2 nice. uh, and i played this one with my boyfriend it is um a cop uh from one to four players um game uh where each of you take control of a wizard and beat the crap out of enemies with them the thing is is that there's eight elements in the game um and you can mix them up however you want you can apply (laughs) spells either to other people in the in the form of a beam of magic or you can uh, use the spells on yourself with varying degrees of mortality <laughs> and actually mixing those two up with a controller is quite easy so i might have analyzed myself a couple of times in that way nice um there's eight elements uh which you took and you toggle with uh, between them uh with the First of a button in the controller. So you have life and death, um, water, fire, um, ice, earth, lightning, and um and shield. Shield, yeah. Right. So um you usually are able to uh, make uh I guess reactions happen in a way. Uh when you're applying uh when two players are applying um uh, sorry, it spells like to the same target. Uh, there are mm. so- sometimes you want to be able like to um, mix the spells yourself because there are opposites. Like I think you can't mix up uh, ice and fire or life or de- and death. But for yeah. example, if one of you uses fire and the other one uses water, you can create a steam mm. and. Um, or if you mix up death and water, you create poison, which is another, um, it is another uh, element pretty much that you can mix up with other things. Uh, you can also mix up uh, ice with water to create like, uh, pretty much icicles that you can throw to your opponents. And there are like a certain, because you can... Uh, you can like kind of like mix up spells before you throw them, and you can mm-hmm. mix up a sequence up uh, of like five spells. You can like uh, make it like so it's five fire spells to say something, and then just uh, release like a very powerful flamethrower. But if you use like I think it was like fire fire grot rock fire fire you make like a dragon meteor attack um when you throw them to your enemies and (laughs) you can or you can also like just 
the combine a number of elements. I was I think it was like water life and something else. And you can revive your fallen party members. Um, there are like a lot of combinations that you can use. Like even if you know things are gonna get dangerous because sometimes we love to uh there's a third way to play your um your spells that I and it is like in almost like an explosion or like an area of effect around you. So mm. um I don't know, you may want to use like a shield that protects you against lightning. If you know you're gonna <laughs> use a lot of lightning in in your next uh fight because uh friendly fire is a thing. Friendly yeah. fire is a thing. So uh that's quite fun. Um I've seen bits of this game played online because it's quite old, I think. Like it's been around a while. Yeah. And every time I've seen it played, it's just like total chaos and everyone's dying, including your teammates. And because they're just like someone Especially your something teammates. and everyone dies and you're like, oh, whoops. And <laughs> I meant to explode the bad guy. But yeah, it's just looks like fun chaos. And that's pretty much the whole point of the game. <laughs> yeah, it is really fun chaos. Um, like we've been. We've been playing like just two of us with my boyfriend. We I'm gonna have to buy the game on a Steam to play with my boyfriend again because we played it like on Couch Cup on PS5, which we don't have nice. access to anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, so I might need to buy the game for myself to be able to continue uh, the 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 sheer chaos of the game, especially since. Um, there, there, there's more people in a group of friends that play it, so that could get very chaotic very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, <laughs> like not only it's not only that you you kill your other teammates by accident. Sometimes I forget that I have a fight a five times death charge on my spell, and instead of curing myself, I analyze myself. So that that's fun too. And then it's like, hey, could someone please? Um, revive me pretty please oh yeah and uh, a piece of advice do not use lining do not even try to use lining if your character is wet or in, or in water that, that just calling for bad news <laughs> so yeah that's what I've been playing why don't we jump then into our discussion topic of the week mm. trophy and achievement hunting which yes has been talked about before on the podcast, but not when I'm here. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, just as a general kind of thing, and I don't consider myself much of a trophy hunter, but I do enjoy their existence because I feel like good trophies can help extend the life of a game because they point to different things that you might be able to do in the game that perhaps aren't essential to completing the game. So... I do have a few Platinums under my belt and 100% of games and stuff, but I never really try to go for them unless I'm kind of loving the game anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. What about you? Well, in my case, like my primary trophy hunting endeavors have been none on the Tommy games because, well, uh, when they were on beta, uh, obviously there were trophies and some of them were hilarious. Like, I don't know, especially in the Hakuoki games, like... I don't know who was in charge of naming those, but they did a chef kiss job. 
uh, and it was like very fun to collect them. Uh, but also like in Atomic Games in general, uh, if you complete, um, like if you get all the cities, you get like everything the glossary or dictionary and stuff like that. And if you see everything the game has to offer, you usually unlock a completion CD. Uh, which, by the way, I don't think Birch had one. Um, but you get a completion CD uh, that is a special piece of art, usually bigger than your average CG with all the characters and doing something silly or just looking very, very cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, I do enjoy to bits getting all the CGs just because uh, I-, I love seeing all the art of the game. But also like getting that one special CG because it is usually sometimes it's not even like in the style of the game. Like the Cafanchante one, it was like in a style like that closely matches that one of Persona Five, right. which makes sense because it came out when Persona Five was uh, very popular in Japan. <laughs> like um, so, so yeah, like um, having their surprise of what awaits you after completing everything is, uh, is it's amazing in my opinion. And I'm actually very, very sad when there's like that one outlier, like Virtue, who does uh, that doesn't have it. Um, <laughs> I do complete uh, some other games that are not uh, my games, like. Well, I tried completing Breath of the Wild, but holy crap, I no way in hell I'm gonna get all of all those Korok seeds. But I yeah. I was only missing like a, about 400 Korok seeds in that game. But anyway, oh, only 400. Only 400. I was halfway through though. Um, <laughs> but in the case of other games like the um, not the Great King and the not the Crook King and the Great Hero, the other one, the Liar Princess and the Blind Prince. They actually mm-hmm. had a little trophy system inside of the game because I played this on Switch, so we didn't have like proper achievements. But <laughs> it not only um, it not only it it gives you like a little batch of hey you you got this. You also unlocked a a page of the concept art book that was implemented inside of the game. And that that just that is just cool. I love it so fucking much. So yeah. is it cool that it's locked behind a trophy or <laughs> something? <laughs> I mean, it gives you a reason to go hunt for it. Yeah, like it gives you like an actual cool thing besides just bragging rights at that point. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's a good point because it makes me think of. Um, one of the things I like about trophies is, or, you know, achievements. I say trophies because I'm more of a PlayStation gamer. But um, <laughs> it kind of can point to things that you might not have known about in a game, especially like multiple endings and stuff, where if it's a game that um, does have multiple endings or missable things that you might not have seen, it's fun looking at the trophy list and going, oh, maybe I could try that and mm-hmm. do that a bit differently. And see that ending because I like that kind of stuff where it or it can kind of hint at different ways to play the game. Like I like in um I'm I'm thinking of games like like Infamous, I think is a good one. And maybe like the Spider-Man games, like third person action kind of games where they might you'll get a trophy for certain combat things. Mm-hmm. I think think Batman Arkham Asylum did it as well, where 
if you did a certain set of moves or that kind of thing, you got a trophy for it. So I like those sorts of things because it makes you kind of think about it a bit more. And, you know, if you pay attention to what the trophies are, because otherwise you could probably just button mash, but it actually gets you to try doing more difficult things or, you know, having fun with it as well. Like I think there was some game, I can't remember, can't remember what it was, but you got like a trophy for doing something stupid, like throwing a dude off a cliff or something when you didn't have to. <laughs> and like things like that I really enjoy because it just kind of adds some flavor to the game that, you know, might not have otherwise been there. Yeah, but- in in the case of, for example, Persona 4 and Persona 4 Dancing All Night, like in Persona 4 it is uh, JRPG, turn-based battles, etc. But it gives you like a little bit of a hint of things you can do in a way. Mm. Um, but also in Persona 4 Dancing All Night, since it is a rhythm game, it has like uh, things specific of use on using like certain um i'm gonna say power-ups or like extra challenges to each music track so you can get uh very interesting combinations that you might not uh thought of <laughs> when uh for you first started playing the game um since i mainly play jrpgs and stuff like that on nintendo switch i don't usually get uh, achievements that hints at stuff that I could be doing but I do remember in Tokyo Mirage Sessions Star FE on the Wii U it had like a, it had like a trophy room inside of the game so it was like hey try to do this in, in this way or like uh, I don't remember like the game terminology but it was like pretty much like do a, a combo uh, in this particular way and achieve this and it was like oh you can do that yeah <laughs> so i get that um but i do not get that as often because uh since i'm playing like most of my action things in consoles that do not have um <laughs> achievement system it's kind of sad but it's still a lot of fun to just look through those um even if you're using like this, you're playing like the Switch version, it's kind of fun to see like what the PlayStation graphics look like. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of, um, I'm just having a look at some of my 100% of games on Steam, uh, just because obviously I've done all the achievements. And some of them pop to mind like um, What Remains of Edith Finch, where the trophies in that are, slash achievements are basically, they're not, they're very missable really like you can miss each one because the way what remains of Edith finch works is that you play through a series of different stories so basically there's an achievement for each story that you only get if you do do something that's probably a bit out of the norm so just minor spoiler one of the first stories you get is you play a little girl who basically turns into a cat and then turns into a an eagle and then turns into a tentacle monster and the part where you're this tentacle monster like you're kind of on a ship and you are uh, grabbing people and eating them. And as you're cruising through the ship, there's a captain, I think, or there's a sailor at least, who's like mm-hmm. singing a song. And one of the achievements you get is called Let Him Finish, and it's Let the Drunken Sailor Finish His Song. So if you let him finish singing before you eat him, and it takes like a good minute or something, like it's a full song, <laughs> it's a sea shanty kind of thing, and then you kill him, you get that achievement. <laughs> and so I like Ooh. stuff like that where it kind of 
it kind of highlights things you can do like differently or, you know, it's not necessarily difficult, but you might not think to do that otherwise. Like you're not going to sit and just listen to some dude singing a song in that game. You probably just go straight up and eat him and progress kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It forces you to kind of take a step back and like appreciate what you're, you're doing for a second. So I like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Alternatively, there's just, there's one achievement in gone home, which is to finish the game within like some ridiculous amount of time. It's like 12 seconds or something because you can do that. And I have done it, but <laughs> basically if you know what you're doing, when you start the game, you can basically go straight to the end and finish the game within, yeah, no time at all, like a minute it could be or something like that. And I hadn't really thought about it until after I'd finished the game and then I looked at the trophy list and I was like, oh, so you can do that, can you? <laughs> so I'm going to give it a go because once you've played the game, you can kind of figure out how to do that because you know where the game ends and you know how to get there and, you know, that kind of thing. But before that, you've got no idea because you have to kind of play the game to learn that stuff anyway along the way and that kind of stuff i think is fun because it's kind of to me that's the developers going yeah you can do this if you know what you're doing but chances are you're not going to the first time you play <laughs> so you know it's fun that it's it's always been there even though you didn't do that because you didn't know what you were doing so <laughs> yeah, yeah that stuff uh, is fun i'm actually looking at the perfectly stone kingdom new lands mm-hmm and uh, I forget like some of these achievements. Like one of them is like for the for five days I turned the other tick and like you didn't kill anything for five days. And I can't nice. remember how I got that one, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was almost an accident. Um, <laughs> and there's there are like other ones that by the sixth day I was rich that you had. At this by the sixth day you had more gold than you could carry. And there are like nice. others that are like build the boat and escape on the first time before day ten. Or like get the um what is this? Heraldic achievement. Have a rain that spans five lands. Oh, I didn't get that because I died on island five. And I had <laughs> to use like another monarch to to do that one. So yeah, like uh, there are like uh, things that are like just um, holy crap! Survive that one hundred? No, that is not gonna happen, my dude. <laughs> uh, th but there are like uh, silly achievements that are like um, uh, n like for example, never gallop until day nine, or like mm. uh, or. Or wait, uh, or intentionally wait uh, to start your camp to the third day and stuff like that. But there are like others that are like, yeah, yeah, try to escape the island as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think those those sorts of ones that kind of either challenge you a bit as well, like they make you do something that intentionally then makes it harder to play without yeah. choosing a harder difficulty or anything. Like you say, like, you know, don't build anything for the first few days and see if you can survive kind of thing. Like, <laughs> that's kind of fun, I think. Or um, hmm. I like silly ones as well that are easily missed. Like uh, recently I mentioned I played a game called Dangeresque, the Rumisode Triangulate, which mm -hmm. is a strong bad game. And because it's a bit of a comedy game, you can actually, as you're playing it, it's a point and click, so and it uses a very 
old school kind of point and click style where you use verbs to interact with things. So you've got, you can use something, you can take something, you can talk to something, you can, you know, do that kind of stuff to interact with things. So you can essentially, you can talk to every interactable object in the game. And if you do, you get an achievement. Nice. <laughs> and there's lines of dialogues and every dialogue recorded for everything you talk to as well. So you, it's down to like, you know, talking to your filing cabinet when you're in the office and talking to your lamp and your chair and just everything you can talk to. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, the main character says a line and it's kind of funny and, you know, he gets in arguments with inanimate objects and stuff <laughs> and it's kind of entertaining. But because I'd seen that that was an achievement, I made sure that I was talking to every single thing throughout the game and mm -hmm. it just added to the enjoyment of the game because it was just funny and silly as well and yeah made it even better in my view yeah definitely but definitely wasn't challenging i'd say <laughs> there's also those tongue-in-cheek um achievements that just make fun of you in a way uh so in the game <laughs> we were here which is pretty much a scaping kind of game that you play with a with a friend mm. uh, i got the achievement called worst friend forever because i got out <laughs> and left my friend Okay, my boyfriend behind because I didn't know, I didn't realize that he couldn't get out without me at, at the at the very end of the game, or like <laughs> I thought that were that there was like something like at the end of that channel that I could use to help him. So I was like, "Hey, uh, I'll be right back," and I got the achievement was worst friend forever because I left uh, left him to rot. <laughs> and actually, yeah. I think he got like. Uh, a companion uh, achievement. Nice. I, I like it when they do that with co-op stuff. They yeah, like, one of you might get one achievement and the other person gets the other one because it's on the other end of the, of the deal kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's been some of those in like Baldur's Gate as well, not not necessarily like related like that, but there have been playing co-op. There's uh, what your achievements are tied to your character, which is kind of nice because even though the other guys that I've been playing with have done stuff and got achievements for things that they've done, I haven't personally got those achievements because my character didn't do that. So in a way, it's kind of fun. I like that because I I don't like, like we'll get into bad achievements, but the ones I hate are the ones that you don't really earn or you don't really do anything to get. Oh, or the kinda, ones, yeah. Or the ones that are completely random. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to get an achievement for something that, my friend did while I was playing a game with them. Like, unless it's, it, it directly affects me, I guess. Mm -hmm. So something like what you're saying that, yeah, my friend left me for dead is kind of a fun achievement to get. You're like, ah, <laughs> now I'll always remember. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, um, as far as like why it's interesting anyway, is I think because like we've been talking about, a lot of it is just stuff that adds to the fun factor of playing the game and, you know, adds a little bit of an, a different idea to, to how to play the game perhaps and make it entertaining that's perhaps not obvious. It's like having, it's almost like having someone sit with you and go, hey, try that. And, mm -hmm. and then you go, oh, yeah, that was fun. That's a good idea. Let's <laughs> do that again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but then there's bad ones. Like <laughs> I kind of get a bit pissed off if I load up a game and start the game and within like 30 seconds a trophy pops saying, you've started the game. Those are so dumb. They they make me mad. Like talk about 
starting the game on the bad foot for me. Like, <laughs> you just throw a trophy at me that goes ding as soon as I've started. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. And yeah. it's nice to have progression trophies in a way, but there are some games I've played where pretty much everything you do that you can't avoid doing, it like dings a new trophy. And it just gets annoying after a while because you're like, I'm not even doing anything for this. And it just constantly taking me out of the game a bit because I'm playing away and then boom, that little window pops up and you're like, oh, you've got a trophy. It's like, oh, but I didn't do anything. Yeah. Those are like, why even put an achievement there? It's like, at this point, it's just to see like uh, the amount of players that buy the game and actually start the game. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, because it would be, I guess it is used as a measure of seeing how far people get through the game, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Especially if it's like ch related to chapters and progression, yeah. And it's always the way those those achievements towards the end of the game you can see are like, you know, 5% of players have got this. Yeah. You're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, like there's one game I saw when I was looking through my list called um, Feather, which is just a little indie game where you fly around as a bird and or a number of birds for that matter. And it's got one achievement and it's when you finish the game and it's literally a thanks for playing game achievement. Like when you hit the credits, you get this achievement which says, thanks for playing our game. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> but I was looking at it and only about 80% of players have got that achievement. <laughs> so it means that the other 20% own the game but haven't played it or haven't finished it. So. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, I'm trying to find. There you go. And there is like the one that is like the completion one that you got all the other trophies. Mm. And I, I actually got that one for Hakudoki Adult Blossoms. And it says all trophies for Edel Blossoms contain 3.5% of the players have this achievement. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, like you you can see you can see like no many not many people like actually go through it. And and now that I'm looking at it, like even like just getting one of the endings, because there's, uh, there, there are, um, uh, there's like an achievement for getting like the good ending for a, a particular character. Um, the the highest it is is like forty percent uh, of hmm. people got this particular ending. It's like, well, I guess not many people uh, people play multiple routes then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I also, like, for me, if if the achievements are too difficult, I don't bother chasing them because unless I want to, unless I'm really loving the game. Oh, yeah, like I, definitely. For, I think it was Horizon, the first game, I 100%ed that, and there were a few achievements in that which I thought were going to be more difficult than they actually ended up being because they were kind of like get gold medals and all the trial things and you have to kind of, do certain things perfectly to get the best score and stuff. And that sort of stuff I normally avoid because it's just too, usually just too difficult and I couldn't be bothered really because you have to kind of practice what you're doing and repeat it a few times to get it right and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I tend to avoid those sorts of trophies just because I avoid that kind of stuff in games anyway. Like if I have to repeat myself too much, I'm not having a good time. So, <laughs> but that's then a testament to that game because it shows that I was obviously really enjoying that game enough to repeat it and practice parts and get it right to get those trophies. So I don't mind a challenging trophy. I just tend to not go for them unless I'm really loving the game. So, 
And how about the the trophies that say in which way did you die? Yeah, they're always fun. <laughs> they're really very fun. Like, oh my god, I, I was looking at the ones from What Lies in the Multiverse. Um, and there's one that says, my, my planet needs me. Die by falling up into the sky. <laughs> there's some good ones like that in the um the civilization games and like beyond earth and those sorts of games where depending on how your victory or defeat you might get a trophy if it's fits certain conditions where it's not necessarily serious or anything it can be quite silly but yeah maybe as playing as this empire you got defeated by some other empire which is like unlikely in the real world but happens in the game you might end up just getting a trophy for that because it's kind of stupid. So, yeah, <laughs> like you know, being Gandhi and dropping nukes kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know if there is a trophy for that, but it's one of those sorts of scenarios. Actually, let me check because I have Civilization Five here. <laughs> Excuse me, how many trophies does Civ Five have? Well, exactly. There's a lot. There's not one that I would ever think of completing. <laughs> Holy crap! Oh no. I, I I was thinking, hey, maybe I can look like a particular one, but there's two hundred plus achievements on this thing. I, I don't think I'm strong <laughs> enough to do this. No, not not me. <laughs> but Paula, I wanna ask you. Mm-hmm. What is your greatest trophy slash achievement achievement? As in perhaps maybe the most difficult one you you've achieved or something to that effect, but that is actually a very good question because I had no idea. Um, <laughs> let me think even a little most, bit. Even the most fun. Um, um, well, I guess uh, some of the most fun uh, are like the ones from What Dies in the Multiverse because when I discovered by dying, I couldn't log an achievement. I have like a, a little laugh, a, a little chuckle on. Uh, on what uh, what my friends thought was a good name for for the trophy. I'm sorry <laughs> that kid died many times. Nice. <laughs> um, those have to be like some of the fans uh, most fun, but I'm fun at the same mm. time that I have like trying to do achievements. Entertaining at the least. Yeah, they they're, <laughs> they were quite entertaining. Um, I. Th- Thing. Uh, let me look at Islanders because I think one of the most difficult ones uh, was from that game. Um, let 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 me check that real quick. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, it's probably um. There's there's a trophy called Puzzle Sol- Solver. Um, mm-hmm. oh no, that I have exactly 100 points, but, um, um, was it in Islanders or was it in uh, a similar game that I think about it? But it was like something about the lengths of, uh, try to place this one building and have it, uh, be like this amount of points, like. It was something about the, among the lines that I had to prepare quite a bit before being able to get um, the the amount of points that the achievement called for. Um, yeah, and it was quite challenging. But 
actually let me check for Vave's U because I think um why is it hitting? Oh, I used to hide my completed games before I realized I could do other things. <laughs> I think yeah, there's some there's some weird ones in Baba is U. Yeah, I don't think I got a lot of the uh Baba is U ones. Oh, but mm. um probably like the other ones that were that I was like quite proud with is uh were the ones from the Liar Princess and the Blind Prince, because I do remember that uh there's there's a level that you could skip uh, completely, like doing like you could get like the easy out out of it. Um, but actually, solving the level was another story. So I guess like solving that particular level without without a guide was um, was pretty much like the uh, one of my crown jewels over there. Oh no, yeah. never mind. This the the one that I'm the most proud of. Is mm-hmm. the one from Papers, Please. Uh, glory to Artoska. I managed to <laughs> ignore all the, all the ESIC uh, requests and work beautifully and didn't nice. die in the pro- process or got incarcerated. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is my proudest achievement right there. Very good, very good. Uh, how about you? Well, I know what my, I guess it's a bit, a bit of a cop out to use a platinum trophy, but. I ended up getting the platinum trophy for Burnout Paradise on uh, PS3, mm-hmm. and the reason that that one always sticks into my brain is because there was a bunch of multiplayer trophies included in that. Oh. And usually, if I look at a trophy list and it's got you know win a multiplayer match or something, I'm like, yep, I'm out, not playing, because <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm not going to do that, <laughs> and my chances of winning are not very high. But there was a bunch of those in. Burnout Paradise, and I happened to play enough of Burnout Paradise that I did play a fair bit online as well after I'd finished the the career mode or the single player stuff. And yeah, I actually did okay. And there were a couple of trophies in that which involved like coming first in certain events, and I managed to achieve it once or twice enough to get the trophy for them. And yeah, hundred percent of that game, which was I remember actually spending a lot of time trying to do stuff and. There's some stuff in that game where you have to do specific stunts and things in certain areas, which mm-hmm. could be quite hard because you have to do like a, I don't know, I'm making this up, but like a 1080 flat spin as you jump off the bridge in a certain car and land it and not crash and you, you end up doing it about 50 times until you actually manage to nail it because it's quite a hard manoeuvre or whatever. And I remember doing that and... <laughs> <laughs> or like you have to do a barrel roll through this particular tube in your car kind of thing and yeah <laughs> stuff like that so that I, th- I think that's my most like if i was to be proud of anything that would be the one that i'm like yeah that was that, that actually took some skill so i'm kind of happy i got it because <laughs> <laughs> most of the time i wouldn't have bothered <laughs> but um just goes to show how much i enjoyed that game i guess so <laughs> And and that's what it boils down to for, for me is like, do I really enjoy this game? Do I really want to keep playing it over and over to maybe achieve these things? And obviously with Burnout Paradise, I did. So yeah, that's probably the best one for me. But uh, I think to go the opposite way, the trophies and achievements that I really don't like or will never bother or even try to achieve are like New Game Plus ones. Or oh yeah, no way in hell. Things tied to difficulty. 
where it's like play it on the hardest level and don't die or something. And you're like, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> like I'm all down for a challenge, but that seems stupid. Yeah, definitely. I don't usually go like for difficulty ones or like, um, I'm going to say like things that happen once during your gameplay and you have that one chance to get the achievement. Yeah. Yeah, no, no luck. <laughs> uh, I, I, this ain't it, Chief. <laughs> yeah, those like highly visible ones that you have to do some really obscure thing that you never would have even thought of. And if you don't do it, you're stuffed for the rest of the game. Like, <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. no way in hell. Those are like the kind of achievements that I would usually go out of my way to even avoid getting because holy crap, I ain't. <laughs> no. Well, and yeah, for me, it's mostly multiplayer stuff I avoid because, like, well, like playing fighting games is a good one. I know it's going to take me forever to win like fifty fights to get that achievement. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm never going to win like five fights in a row to get another achievement. Like <laughs> these are the ones I remember seeing in various games where I'm like, mm, that's not going to happen. Or it ends up making you do really dumb stuff. Like I remember in Street Fighter Four, there was an achievement for like finishing the single player career mode on the hardest difficulty. So I was never going to achieve that, <laughs> but I did because I figured out that if you use the character Zangief and there was a very simple move where he just kind of spins around. I think it's like Zangief's Lariat, it's called, or something. And the AI just does not know how to deal with that move. So you can just basically do that over and over and over, even on the hardest level, and you'll win. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't work against real people because there is a counter to it that real people know and can basically stuff you up if that's all you do. But the AI were stupid enough not to figure it out. So I did get the achievement for like finish Street Fighter 4 on the hardest difficulty, but only because I cheesed it. So it was kind of boring anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't make me feel good. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So yeah. But that's why I think, yeah, in, in, in their best instance, like trophies and achievements are good ways to kind of add a bit of a fun dimension to a game mm -hmm. or add little hints at extra things you can do. But I think at worst, thing. yeah, but I think like at worst, they kind of make you grind or practice or feel like you're doing work. <laughs> yeah. Or are just completely pointless, like the ones that just get thrown at you for loading the game. Unless to the player, but maybe not so much to the developer, but anyway. And I think we've all encountered, I mean, you know, no shade on anyone, but some people do take them very seriously and want to kind of show off about, hey, I've got all these achievements. It's like... Yeah, good, good for you. <laughs> that sort of stuff has never really been my bag. It's not really what I'm into, you know. If you are into it, that's cool. Like, rad, you're having fun. That's what games are for. So, <laughs> but I've just never really been into that side of life either. So, yeah, I guess it's never been that important. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Any uh, final thoughts on that? At the end of the day, the real achievements are the friends we made along the way. I'm sorry. I, I know you that. might say that. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that coming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we milked this uh, this topic as much as we mm. could. As always, listeners, if you'd like to weigh in with what your opinions are, please do, because it's always interesting to hear what other people think as well. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But now, the time has come. We'll do a round of Guess the Game after this, but first of all, I have chosen a game that I'm going to get Paula to play. I don't think it'll be one that anyone really expects, 
but there are reasons behind it, which I will explain. And so if you've been playing along, we've uh, completed, I think it was what, 20 rounds of our guessing game? 20 rounds. And that left us with a score of, I think, 17 to 18, my way. So my prize for winning is that I can assign a game for Paula to play that is uh, uh, beneath or under the eight. My score was 18, so under 18 hours. That makes sense. <laughs> and that has to be like the all times together kind of thing. Yeah, going by the old playstyles time on how long to beat. So I'm going to take you through my thought process a little because <laughs> obviously I was looking for games that you haven't played that I really enjoy that I want other people to play. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went through games that, well, first of all, I went back on games that I kind of chose as game of the year contenders for the last five years or so. Okay. Because I thought, well, I love those games, so I want other people to play them. And I found a couple which I was thinking about suggesting, um, but they're a bit short. Like The first one I thought of was Blackwood Crossing, mm-hmm. which I think everyone should play anyway because it's a fantastic uh, story-based walking simulator narrative type game. But it only takes about two to three hours to finish. And I thought, I can't really go that low because <laughs> I've got 18 hours to play with. <laughs> and then I thought about Observation which is another game I really enjoyed, and it's a awesome sci-fi mystery weirdness adventure, and it's about six to seven hours to complete, which is you know not even half of the 18. So I kind of decided against that as well. Then I found one which made me think of you because uh, your recent time with Papers, Please, and it's okay. interesting you brought up Papers, Please with trophies as well and having achieved an interesting route on that because this game that I'm going to suggest is heavily inspired by Papers, Pleased and oh. is not necessarily the best game in the world, but an interesting game to play nonetheless and a fun game, I think, nonetheless as well. And it's also on special right now, so that helps that it's kind of cheap. So <laughs> the game I'm going to suggest that you play and I'll probably replay at the same time is the game Not Tonight. Not Tonight. This is a game where you play. Well, I'll, I'll read this blurb for people. In an alternative Britain where Brexit talks have collapsed and extreme far-right government has taken power, citizens of European heritage have been rounded up and exiled, forced out of your previous life. You find yourself in the midst of a booming gig economy, fighting to scrape by and return to the city you call home. So you're basically playing a bouncer at a number of different venues and you have to look at everyone's papers and IDs and stuff and either let them in or not. Very similar to Papers, Please, in that sense. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's a fun kind of evolution on Papers, Please, I think, because uh, I obviously I have played it. And yeah, it's a kind of rather than being like a oppressive Eastern Bloc European country, it's British nightclubs in a weird dystopia where, you know, the rest of Europe have been shut out. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it and what you think of it. Because it's quite uh, interesting. This looks interesting. And not only that, there is a sequel to it, Not Tonight 2. There is. And I have not played that one. But I think uh, that one's way more American themed, where this one's about kind of being in England and separated from Europe. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Not Tonight 2 is about America kind of blocking off the rest of the world as well and like building the wall between America and Mexico and all that kind of stuff. 
Okay, so let's make America great again, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of plays on very similar themes to Papers, Please, but in a completely different fashion and by a different developer and everything. Um, nice. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a fun little indie game that I'd like to highlight. I actually was looking on Steam and I had I wrote a negative review for this when I first played it <laughs> <laughs> because there was a game-breaking bug, which meant I couldn't finish the game. <laughs> oh, but it was very important to find out. Yeah, but they did fix it, so... I was I was having such a good time and you know how it is like sometimes you're having such a good time with the game and then you hit a game breaking bug and you're like I cannot continue anymore mm-hmm. and I was having such a good time and I'm just annoyed now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrote a negative review and did not recommend it but the devs did end up responding and saying hey we've actually fixed that bug so you know play it again and I did and I finished it and it was good. Yeah, you actually didn't uh, change your your review because I'm looking at the Steam page and says one friend recommends against this game. I used you. Yeah, I tend not to change things very much. I mean, the comment there from the dev is is there as well, so you know, anyone reading it can see that they fixed that bug. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't tend to review things very much anyway. So unless there is like a bad, horrible bug or something which I want to perhaps warn people about. <laughs> But yeah, this is a fun game. It's uh, I'd like because you've just played Papers Please, and because um, you know you're already in that kind of mindset. I thought this would be a fun one to play, and kind of compare as well. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'll give it a replay because uh, it's been a long time since I did play it. I think I played it back in 2018. So yeah, and mm-hmm. I managed to finish it in nine hours. But according to Helen's beat, the uh, all play styles is about 12 and a half. I think so. That's a reasonable amount of time, if you ask me. It is very reasonable indeed. Uh, it's going to be very fun. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk about that sometime in the future when we've both uh, given it a play. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you think. <laughs> and to round everything off with the start of a new uh, guessing game round, I'm going to quiz Paula on one of her completions and see if she can guess it from the completion notes recorded on How Long to Beat and perhaps some other clues like platforms and times and that sort of stuff. So I've got one here to kick off this season, if you want to call it that. We can call this season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is a game, of course, that I want to say you completed in 2022. Okay. Yeah. It's, I'll, I'll add more in a, in a bit, but my first clue for a main story completion this person completed it in four hours mm-hmm. and their completion note says it was nice and relaxing in the beginning but after that oh god did not bother to do extras nice and relaxing at the beginning and but there's that, extra levels oh god. <laughs> might be a puzzle game is it a mental no no i think i replayed that one last year and I originally played like on 2018, I think. Um, is it Railbound? No. I think that's 2023, but anyway. Um, <laughs> nice and relaxing. Use it for hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for a main story, that's that's a little bit longer than the average, but only a little bit. Only a little bit. What was I playing that year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the game itself came out in 2021. Mm-hmm. 
So you played it, you know, within a year of it coming out. Is it a street cut still? No, it is not. Oh, I wouldn't call that exactly relaxing now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> um, line? Like with a Y instead of an I? No, I know the one, but it's not that. Well, that was a fun little puzzle game. Yeah, um, Knights, maybe? No. Nope. Um, this is quite a popular game. A lot of people have played it. Oh, no, not this again. <laughs> it's not super duper like it's, it's on how to beat there's 3000 completions, give or take. Is it Islanders? No. <laughs> uh, okay, give me another clue I need. I need more than that. Okay. So for main plus sides, this completion took five hours and 55 minutes. Okay. And their comment is, took my time just to make everything look perfect for myself, but wasn't going for stickers. Stickers. That's important. <laughs> Was it going for stickers? It said 2022. You finished it in 2022? The game mm -hmm. came out in 2021. It was the end of 2021 though, so. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not a tiny sticker job because I completed that last year and it came out last year, so get out of my mind, goddammit. <laughs> um, 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 um. <laughs> this game has mostly been completed on PC, but it is also available for mobile, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and Xbox One. I played it on Switch, probably. Uh, apparently, you did not. I did not? Okay. Uh, okay, it's a relaxing game. It has stickers. And it is a short game. Hmm? This main plus sides, which is 5 hours and 55 minutes, is actually a bit long again because the average main plus size is four hours. Oh. Um, does that one have stickers? But it's not relaxing. It's not flipping death, is it? No, it is not. Uh, you did complete this on PC. Oh, yeah. I completely flipping dead on Twitch, so... <laughs> And you rated it pretty highly as well, I have to say. What was I thinking? <laughs> if I can't even remember the darn thing. Yeah, it made such a good impression on you. <laughs> um. Um. <laughs> but you took, for a main plus, two hours and 49 minutes, which was much quicker than the other ones we've looked at. That just confuses me even further. <laughs> it's probably a puzzle game then, because I do tend to take uh, less time on those. Mm -hmm. You'd be in the right, you know, wheelhouse with puzzle games. It's not Terrenial because that one came out quite recently. Don't know how much this will help you, but I happen to know that the, the developer is pretty much a two-person team. 
who did the bulk of the work. There were a couple of other people involved, like for other jobs, but. But I can I know how come I am not remembering shit right now? <laughs> Alright, I think I'll give you the final clue. Yeah, please. If you're ready. It might seem like an odd clue, but this is actually very revealing. So I'll, I'll give you more hints as well if you need, but this one is a completionist run. Okay. Which which only took three hours and 50 minutes. So shorter than the average main plus mm -hmm. and shorter than the average completionist. And the completion note says, my mum spent 45 minutes in one room. So it lengthened my time, but it was a very fun completion. I do this. In one room. Oh, uh, unpacking? It is unpacking, yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, what's that about the stickers? I don't know. That's reveal. I think, if, I think if you get like everything perfect, you get like stars as stickers, kind of like a rating uh... system. I think. I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I played it. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you rated it 10 out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forget that one came out like on um, 2021. Yep. Yeah, it was very relaxing, but I didn't like what threw me off is like uh, the person saying like um, it was very relaxing at the beginning. And then it was like the yeah. stickers, the stickers, it was like, <laughs> oh my God. But yeah. Well, it can't be too obvious. <laughs> I got um, yeah, a point. Yeah, a lot of the other... A lot of the other completion notes are just like, I got all the achievements and that's about it. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this game, the only reason I know about the development team is because it's by a developer called Witchbeam, who are an indie group who made another game called Assault Android Cactus. And they're basically a bunch of, uh, well, men and women from Brisbane in Australia. So, mm -hmm. and I love their other game, Assault Android Cactus. I'm even wearing a t-shirt now of one of their characters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there we go and yeah uh there were two two main developer developers on unpacking which was um i can't remember the names but they're like a, a, a man and a woman she did most of the art and design and he did most of the programming i think yeah. and yeah it's just i just like those sorts of things where you kind of know what people are doing it's always interesting i think but um yeah that's unpacking and that will give you one point to start off the next one Good. And I think that will do us for this episode. What do you reckon? Yeah, um, I'm still like, how did I not see that coming? God, the fucking damn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Hell on Topic podcast. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as always, leave your comments on there if you if you so liked. But uh, while you're there, please press that like button and that subscribe button and oh my god i should probably have rehearsed this beforehand but anyway um i'll see you in the next one bye bye yes thanks for listening adios <laughs>
if I say I don't feel like it? Anyway, 